Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is in Luke 3, baptism. John chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3. We're going to be there briefly this morning, and then we're going to be moving over to the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 3. So you want to go to both places. First, we're going to be in John 3, though. If you've got to only do one at a time, let's do that one. I keep saying John. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We were last time in Luke chapter 3 and verse 3, and we're going to be there again. And then down in verses 21 and 22 in Luke here in just a bit. Luke chapter 3, and then John chapter 3. We were looking at John the Baptist, and we saw you know, his, what he came to do and saw how brief his ministry was. I'm not sure if we really thought through all that, but John... Uh, could have, his ministry could have been as short as only six months, and, and a max, probably, a massive, probably overstating it, is to say he only ministered, is to say he ministered two years. Probably something less than that, maybe as short as six months. Uh, so, so uh, yet he had this incredible effect, and yet he only, he only did one thing, and uh, God blessed his ministry, and we saw it there in verse 3 of chapter 3. It says, he came, that is John, into all the district of the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we saw graphics I put up last time. I'm going to put some of those back up there. First of all, my opinion of what John looked like is probably is a lot closer to that, I would say. Uh, uh, a weird dude uh, living in the wilderness, eating stuff like that. Um, there's nothing else out there. Uh, washing himself in place like uh, the Jordan River. Uh, which is a glorified ditch. That's not a river where I'm from. Um, where I'm from, you don't swim across rivers. You drown in rivers. They're a quarter mile across. Uh, uh, Brother Natchez, Sabine River guy back there from home area. Uh, that's, we would put a ramp on one side and jump across it with bikes <laughs> just, just because we could. Pray for big rain to get flooded so that we would, you know, wash some of the silt out there. Well, that's the Jordan River 99% of the year. There's a time of the year, though, that the Jordan in the time of Christ and all, all really uh, prior to modern Israel being in charge of, of Israel, uh, the Jordan River had a time in which it would flood. Um, they have a truly rain season. They have a truly dry season. Uh, the winter months, basically from the end of October through the end of March or the first part of April, it rains uh, most, almost every day there. And then by about mid-April, all the way around until October, they do not get a drop. I know some of you from West Texas and other places, and down here we don't get a lot of rain. We had a 100% chance of rain yesterday. I think we got like four drops, you know, in the whole area. That's what 100% is for us. It's still way wetter here than it is over there during the summertime. They have a truly dry season, truly wet season. If you're a farmer, that's beautiful because you know exactly when to plant, exactly when to harvest. And Anyway... Um, they have a great rainy season. Today, Israel controls the flooding of the Jordan River because it controls the level of the Sea of Galilee. It's their only source of fresh water. And um, so for that reason, the, this river does not go out of its banks like it did in old days. The evidence is there where you can see, wow, it, you, know, you can see where it carves the canyons out in the area where it would go way out of its banks. But normally it looks like this. Uh, last year, I, th I told you we had the privilege to go to the place where John baptized. And uh, I've got some pictures here for you. Uh, that, that's me, uh, you know, waxing eloquent about, you see my thumb pointed, don't go out there because it gets deeper. Uh, we went with the church from Bahamas, and this is baptizing some of them. Some of my church members also were, were baptized. Notice the color of the water. 
That's always the color of that water there. It's never pretty. Um, what you thought of the Jordan River, I know we have a, I have a painting in, the, in our baptistry in the home little town I grew up in, the Baptist church I grew up in. The back, back wall was, a, you know, in front of the baptistries here, and then the back wall is this painting of this beautiful river scene, and the water is not that color. <laughs> it's a beautiful river, you know, with trees and all kinds of stuff, and Jordan River's not like that. It's, it's, it's liquid mud, for lack of a better way to put it. Another picture, uh, another perspective, looking kind of, you can see the, can you see my little cursor on the screen? Let's see if I can get it on there. There it is. See that little thing moving around? I'm going to point at the bank over there. See the bank? That's, that's how wide it is. I mean, there's one side, there's the other side, uh, nothing to it. Like I said, we wouldn't call it a river where I'm from. Uh, that's typical Jordan River situation. At its flood stage, it would be five times that width. At the day that we were there, notice I'm about waist-deep water, so six foot two. About where the buoys were, were was about this deep for me. Past the buoys was over my head, so I'd say roughly in the middle, 10 feet deep. Six times that during flood stage, when the Israelites crossed in the land, you know, they weren't going to swim across that thing. Uh, they come out of the wilderness, you know, not taking swimming lessons over there, so uh, not, a, not a thing that they would cross. So, so John uh, baptizes in this place. How do you suppose he came up with the whole issue of baptism? You think he would just had a bad dream last night? Well, you know what? I've got an idea. I think we're just going to start sticking people in the water, you know, instead of just doing the typical religious stuff, let's just make them go underwater. It's just something as a, to change the monotony. Well, the Bible tells us John didn't come up with his idea. Uh, this idea came straight. We had lovebirds, by the way, on this trip. More. There, there's another perspective of it. The Bible tells us that John actually got this idea straight from God. Notice his testimony about Jesus, and we haven't even read it yet, but we're going to see in just a second. That he, how he would know Jesus is because John really didn't met, hadn't met Jesus. They grew up in separate places in Israel. He wouldn't know what Jesus looked like, and so God told him, this is how you're going to know Jesus, but notice how he prefaces it. John says, he who sent me to baptize. This wasn't John's idea. God sent him to do this. So this was God's idea. It may seem crazy to you, but uh, God is allowed, I hope, to do some crazy things in your life. Um, especially uh, since what he does isn't crazy. He who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And in fact, we find out it happens just like that. If you'll consider, continue there in chapter 3 of Luke, you'll continue on down to chapter 21. I'm sorry, verse 21. Notice what it says. Now it came about when all the people were baptized that Jesus also was baptized. That's weird. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, even more weird, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form, like a dove, and the voice came out of heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in, him, in thee I am well pleased. So this is the prediction that John had. He says, this is how I knew who Jesus was, because of this very thing. The one that sent me to baptize told me that it would happen this way. So, so God decides what baptism is supposed to be. Jesus verifies it by coming and having the same thing done to him. Now, this is a beautiful passage we have here in the book of Luke because we have the Trinity here. You've got God the Father in the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Where's the Son? In the waist deep in the river. Where's the Holy Spirit? Somewhere in between, you see. So why don't we say, why don't we say God is a triune nature and Trinity in nature? Because that's the way he's presented in the Bible, guys. We didn't write this. I know the term Trinity isn't in the Bible, but you have God presenting himself as these three persons as yet one, both Old and New Testament. What's our conclusion? Come up with a name. I don't know what you want to call it, Trinity, Triune, something like that. But that's what, you're, that's what you've got. Um, and to say anything else, listen, is to say the scriptures are incorrect. 
I wouldn't go there. Would not recommend that. He who sent me to baptize, and of course Jesus comes and baptizes, and it raises lots of questions. The first one who asked the question about it, by the way, was John himself. John tried, it says, to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. That's a great thing, a great man, John. In fact, Jesus' testimony about John is that there's not one, none born of women are greater than John. That's Jesus' evaluation of who John is, and that's, wow, can't beat that. The greatest man, according to Jesus, who ever lived, needed repentance, knew that he did, needed to be baptized for the sake of repentance, because he says, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me to be baptized, that is? Jesus answered, here's why Jesus got baptized. Jesus gives us the answer. Permit it that is this, at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all right. Because it's the right thing to do, John. He doesn't have a big dialogue with him there. He's standing in the water. Because it's the right thing to do, John, and John's okay. That's the kind of guy John was. Just, it didn't seem right to him. It seemed like it could be misconstrued, and people have misconstrued it as if Jesus, for some reason, needed to repent. Because that's what John was baptizing for, right? People were, were repenting. And he was publicly identifying them with this repentance by putting them through this rite that we call baptism. And so when Jesus comes to baptize, John is thinking, he doesn't need to repent. He'd be right about that. Why is he being baptized? It's a good question. We're going to try to answer that today. Uh, the simple answer is like Jesus gives us right here because it's the right thing to do. But why is it the right thing to do? Well, we're going to see that. And in order to do that, we need to go back in our Bibles to the first baptisms that take place in this spot. It wasn't John who baptized. Centuries before, many people were baptized in this spot, and they were baptized by God. I want us to look back there. I told you to go to Joshua. I want you to go there, Joshua chapter 3. And um, you, can, you can leave Luke. We won't go back to it. We will refer to it, but you don't have, we're not going to go back to any verses there ourselves. John chapter 3. God warns them in John chapter 1. John. I'm stuck on John. <laughs> I just need to say it enough. Joshua, John are so similar, I guess. I don't know. Joshua 1.11 says, pass, Joshua's been told by God, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, prepare provisions for yourself. For within three days you are to cross this Jordan. How long have you been waiting for that crossing? Forty years. Finally it's here. We're crossing over into the promised land. They could have crossed in several places, but he has them crossed through water. We're going to get to that. Why? Prepare to cross this Jordan, to go to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now chapter 3, look down at verse 10. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will assuredly dispossess before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite, these people that ruled the land. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant, this is how you're going to know, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is going to cross over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now the Jordan is outside of its banks. It's 30 feet deep in the middle. They're going to carry an Ark covered in gold with a gold, solid gold lid, solid gold cherubim on top of it, with four men carry it, none of which can swim, they're going to walk in the river with this. This is how you're going to know God's going to deliver you because he's going to take this process. Here's the process. When they take for yourselves, and now take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. He's going to get to the reason why for these 12 men. So hold on to that. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. 
It's a river flowing this way. So you stop it up here. And so what happens to the water that's below it? It just goes away. Shall be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand in one heap. We find out in a minute, a long ways away. More, more than 15 miles. So it came about when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks and all the days of the harvest, that the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away. Like I said, this area, we don't know where the city of Adam is. But we do know where the area is. It's across from Zarethan, which is over in the country of Jordan today, straight across it. That's about 15 miles of where they were. So it wasn't like there was a wall of water like over there. It like, it, I mean, this is going overboard, isn't it? You don't need 15 miles of river to cross. That's a lot of people, 3 million people, but still. So back it all the way up to Adam, the city, and I want you to mark and remember that city because it's significant. All of this is significant, but that one we're going to get back to in a minute. And those which are flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, that is the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. He had, could have had them cross at any time. He could have had them cross at any place. There's plenty of unwatered places in the borders of Israel. He chooses water. He chooses the high, high tide, if you will, season of, of that water for all, all important reasons. Verse 1 of 4. Now it came about when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people. Remember those twelve? Now I'm ready for them. One man from each tribe and command them saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan and from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm. Carry them over with you. So out of the bottom of the river, which used to be underwater, right? They grab these 12 stones underneath the priest's feet, lay them down in the lodging place where you, why not just pick up 12 stones over there? Because he's making a point. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off from the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. What an incredible story. The first thing you need to know about this story and how it relates to what we've been studying in the New Testament is this is the exact same place that John baptizes. Not one inch up or down the river, this is the exact same place. It's called several names in your Bible, but it refers to the same spot. It's called Bethabar, which means house of preparation. They were preparing to cross, right? Uh, it's called house of obedience. Uh, again, the obedient cross. They tried to enter the Israel from the southern end 40 years before, but they wouldn't obey God, remember? So they're out in the wilderness for 40 years. It's called Bethany in the New Testament, or Bethabara. Also came eventually to be called the house of crossing, the spot where they crossed, if you will. That's where John baptizes. Think that's a coincidence? Jordan River's 30 miles long. Muddy all the way. The better end is up near the Galilee, by the way. Warmer, um, well, I don't know. Certainly clearer, not near as nasty. I've baptized up there as well. It's very, very much nicer. The other end is, like I said, just liquid mud. So, so in the, let's, let's frame this for you. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God had the entire nation of Israel 
pass through the same waters at the same spot where John was having the entire nation of Israel pass through the same waters underneath his hand. Suppose that's a coincidence. Keep thinking. Can you see the symbolism? Where have they been? 40 years, where? Taking swimming lessons, right? No. 40 years in the wilderness, it's a picture of the lost life, is it not? Because what's the promised land a picture of? Of salvation, of, of heaven, of eternity, right? So what's between lostness and saveness? A river. I had to pass through water, isn't that coincidental? Because I come to faith in Christ, I trust Him as personal Savior, and I, in, that, in that right there, God enacts in me a new birth which takes me from death to life, but then He asks me publicly to pass through water. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Not a coincidence, is it? Not a coincidence here, it's not a coincidence that He does this, He doesn't just come up this out of the top of His head. In fact, this is a very old thing. A very important picture. So what is, what, are we, are, when we were being baptized, are we picturing the book of Joshua? No. When they went through the waters, they were picturing us, upon whom the end of the ages have come and the Messiah has come to rescue us. A picture teaching the Israelites all what they should be looking for. So as John is baptizing in this same spot, they'd have been thinking, they'd have been reading, they'd have been saying, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've seen this before. What's going on here? We leave our lostness, we repent of our sins, confessing Jesus as our Savior, trusting Him, and He asks us to publicly be immersed in water. Isn't that interesting? He first did it in the exact same spot where uh, He asked the people to pass through or required the people to pass through the water. The symbolism, listen, of baptism runs very deep, does it not? But often, historically, as a church, we have found that those waters of baptism are murky for us. It's interesting, a lot of our churches agree on 99% of our theology. But we differ over the issue of baptism. How is it we can have all this going for us and get all, you know, everybody shaking their head, amen, amen, we get to baptism, we're like, oh, I can't meet with those people, they can't, they can't get it right, and they say the same thing about us. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way if we would just be careful, and part of the problem with baptism, it, it is complicated. We've just shown you how it reflects to something and reflects back to something, both Old and New Testament. It's complicated in another way because there's two different levels of, of understanding or application or uh, meaning, I should say, of, of uh, baptism. And let's get to both of those. First of all, there is a little literal meaning of baptism. Baptism literally means to be immersed. Every time you see the word baptize or baptism in the New Testament, it is just simply the Greek word for immersion. It wasn't a religious word. It, wasn't a, it became a religious word, but it just was the same word that a Greek mother would have used to tell her daughter to put the plate underneath the water in the sink if they had one. Immerse it. Don't sprinkle it. Don't pour it. Immerse it. Okay, so it, that is what the word means. It literally means to be immersed. There is no indication the church did anything other than immersion for centuries. And then it got away from it. We don't know why. Probably out of necessity or out of convenience because it doesn't take near as much water to pour or sprinkle, right? Uh, they got away from it. Another reason they got away from it is because they got away from the scriptures. So as you can watch the church, as it loses what the scriptures teaches, it also loses a lot of its purposes, a lot of its meanings, a lot of the things. It begins to shave the corners off of very rich and very poignant doctrines, as in the case of of baptism. Uh, when, when the Bible, listen, got back into the hands of the common people some 1,400 years uh, after the time of Christ, thanks to guys like Martin Luther, any Lutherans here? 
Come on. You just not want to confess. Ah, we got Lutherans here. Half the Northern America is Lutheran. Come on. I know that you are. Martin, nothing wrong with it. Martin Luther was a great guy. We owe a lot to him. Uh, Protestant denominations, tremendous to this guy. Uh, thanks to Martin Luther, the printing press, passionate people like John Wycliffe, they saw to it that Bible started getting back in the hands of the people. We started reading and saying, hang on a minute. What we've been taught for centuries is not what it actually says. They began to realize it wasn't originally written in English or French or Spanish or whatever. It was really written in Greek. So they started researching the Greek, started saying, wait a minute. Baptism is not pouring, it's not sprinkling, it's immersion. So many of us, many of our traditions went back to this full immersion, believer's baptism, which is what the New Testament teaches. And um, again, because of correct Bible interpretation, I'm a big believer in doing what it literally says. I mean, if, if you have enough water, why not go under? Good enough for John and Jesus, should be good enough for you. Sometimes, like I said, of necessity you cannot do that, and I know there's opportunities and situations that comes up. I can got a couple examples. I had, uh, when I was in seminary, way back there, 1989, 1990, I had a professor in seminary who was also a captain in the United States, I'm sorry, in the Marines. And uh, his unit was called up at the first Gulf as proceeding or building up to the first Gulf War, and they were called and moved into uh, northern Saudi Arabia. And because he was a chaplain over, and he was a captain rank, he had to go with them. And so halfway through the semester, we lose our professor, and they bring in another professor, and he told us, I'm going to write back to you guys, and I'm going to call you and tell you what's going on. And he went there believing God had called him. He was going to be preaching the gospel over there, and he said, man, we had a ton of people come to Christ. He said, well, guys and gals of all kinds, I mean, they're under, their, you know, under a threat of invasion of a powerful country like Iraq and having invaded Kuwait, you know, all the story. And they're camped there in the northern, northern desert of Iraq. And he says, so these people were getting saved through his preaching. They want to be baptized. Guess what? <laughs> You're in the Saudi Arabian desert. There ain't nowhere to baptize. They had their rations and they would pour water, you know, but he says it kind of wasn't a Baptist thing to do. But he says, you know, like I said, of necessity, God understands our hearts. And that's really the, the, the deal here. It's, it's your heart to God. Uh, as much as you can, you need to be obedient to what the scriptures literally say. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. He said at one point, a bunch of guys gals came together and they all had their rations. So we dug a hole by the size of a man and we lined it with plastic. And we filled it all up with the rations. And he said people would lay down in it. He says, literally, Bill, they still couldn't go underwater. So they'd have to roll over to get immersed, you know, a couple times. <laughs> so, like I said, heart to God, they were doing the best that they could. Another situation, which I, was memorable baptism. I wasn't there, but, but I, the story just sticks in my mind. My aunt, uh, my dad's only sister, ministered in the jails in Texas, a number of jails in Texas, and in southern Louisiana, uh, re again, ministry, gospel ministry, reaching to people, preaching to them, lots of guys and gals coming to Christ, and uh, just a rich experience. And, of course, in a jail, the deepest water you have is in the bottom of your toilet. You know, I mean, you're, not, you're not getting immersed in a jail, and they're not going to make any special privileges because, you know, you've broken the law and you've lost your rights. So, so they were having to make some exceptions with regards to baptism. I had one guy, though, in Louisiana, I believe in Lafayette, who, who was determined to be immersed determined, just mad that he couldn't get immersed. And they finally talked him into, the most water they could get on him was in a shower. They finally talked him into going through the motions, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, we baptize you, kind of thing, while the shower was running on him. And he finally came okay with that. She said, the problem with this thing, this guy was he was six foot five and about 300 pounds. <laughs> so the chaplain's on one side and she's on another and another guy's in the back, you know, and they're going through the dipping motion. She said, we got about halfway down, Father, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
boom, he slipped out of their hands and wham, hit the floor like a big rock. Memorable baptism. Again, heart to God, God understands. So the literal meaning is immersion. Not near as important, hear me, as the figurative meaning. We can get it wrong on the literal meaning. You can sprinkle people, and I don't think you'll get struck by lightning. I think you should immerse if you can. But, but you can't get it wrong figuratively because the figurative part of it is way heavier. Figuratively, baptism means to be identified. That's the figurative meaning. It's never meant anything other than that. It means to identify someone with something that they've already done. As, as an example, John publicly identified those who were repenting by immersing them. So you say you've repented, be immersed. So the world can see it, because repentance is something that happens in my heart between me and God, right? Of course. That's the important decision. That's where, that's where decision of salvation is made. It's a, it's a heart to God. It's a decision to follow and, and, and trust Christ as my personal Savior. But he asks you, listen, to be publicly identified with that. John identified them with repentance. What did Jesus identify us with? Go and make disciples of all nations, identifying them, baptizing them, what? In the name of the Father, thus the triune God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Same ones that were at his baptism are supposed to be at yours. You're supposed to be publicly identified with the triune God of the universe. Have you done that? May I suggest to you that that's an important thing you need to do. The, the God who has done all these things for us has not asked us, but commanded us to do this, that we publicly identify with him in this life. No 007 Christians, you're not a secret, it's not a secret order. We publicly say to the world, I belong to him because he purchased me on the cross, dying and paying for my sins. I think it's the least he could ask of us. And, and hear me carefully on this. Like I said, we can't get this figurative meaning wrong. It is an identification of salvation, not a communication of salvation. It doesn't communicate to you any saving power. It identifies you with the fact that you already are saved. If you, in fact, if you got baptized and were not already saved, you got wet as best I can tell for no reason, unless you had soap, or, a, or in the river you had a fishing pole. No other reason. Uh, no benefit to you to go under having not once already trusted Christ. If that was as a baby, as a child, or as an adult, you hadn't trusted Christ until later, you got baptized for no reason. Because the order in the scriptures is saved, then baptized. Saved, then baptized. Not a single exception. You're welcome to look it up for you, but I can save you the trouble. It ain't there. Here's an example of many. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 and 47. Peter has been ministering to nothing but Jews. Is called by an angel to go and minister to these Gentiles, namely Cornelius and his family and all those who are joined up there. And it's the first Gentiles who were saved. He goes up there and begins preaching to them. And they got ahead of him. Before he gave the invitation, y'all come forward and everybody except Jesus, they had already did. Because notice the example here where Peter's still speaking these words. Had the audacity to go ahead and accept Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Of all those who were listening to the message, that is the, that is the sign of salvation. Truly, how, how are you saved? Because the Holy Spirit comes to rest on you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, it says, does not belong to him. It is make or break issue. So, of course, he's like, wow. And he gives a correct answer. Surely no one can refuse the waters of baptism, assemble to these baptized, to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit, which is the real thing, just as we did. Salvation already been communicated to them, you see. Now they needed to give the identification 
publicly that they belong to him through the waters of baptism. It's always saved first, baptized second. Saved first, baptized second. Confusion of baptism is historical among our churches, unfortunately. Baptism is not to be confused with salvation. The water baptisms are only for those who have already been saved. We've said that. Some, somewhere the real meaning of baptism got confused. People began to interpret it as some type of cleansing rite. I understand that, but I also I want you to understand it is not correct. It is not a cleansing rite, nor is it ever pictured that way ever in the Bible. It wasn't true for the children of Israel. They crossed the, the rivers of the Jordan and Joshua. It is not true for uh, John as he baptized people in the Jordan River, nor is it true as the commandment that Jesus gave us to baptize those who trusted him in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Never is it cleansing rite. Here, case in point, we're going to find out deeper in this as we go back to Joshua here in, in a second. But before we do that, let's stop back over here in the New Testament. One of our quintessential passages on baptism is what Paul says here. We've read it many times, but have we actually read it? Therefore, we have been buried with who? With Jesus through baptism into death. I can't go back 2,000 years and climb in the grave with him to say, I own Jesus and what he did for me on the cross and his burial counted for me, which is, which is true, having placed my faith in him. So the way I own Jesus in this life, not being able to teleport back 2,000 years, is to go underneath the waters of baptism. He says, we've been baptized into what? Death. Into death. I thought it was water. Well, it is. But what does it represent? Well, not life. Certainly not. Death doesn't cleanse you, does it? Isn't that what you're being saved from? That's right. So uh, there's no salvation in baptism. Water, the water isn't there to cleanse you. It's not there to save you. It, it's what you're being saved from, guys. How did we get it so backwards? Because we don't know what the scriptures say. We're baptized into his death, which, of course, the medium is water, but it's a picture of that which is we're being rescued from. Not, not what's saved us, it's what's been against us, you see. The waters of baptism are not, not what saves us, not what brings us life. It was what was dragging us under. Jesus came and pulled us out. And we're going to see that here as pictured here. So, so back to Joshua. Children of Israel, 40 years in the wilderness, crossing from the lostness of that wilderness journey into the promises, eternal promises of God. They pass through the waters, but ahead of them goes the Ark of the Covenant. What is this Ark? Well, it's a box covered in gold with gold poles and a gold lid. But it's not what it is physically as much as what it is figuratively that matters the most. And here's a graphic picture for you here. Guy stepping into the Jordan River. That ark underneath that blue covering, that ark, listen to me, is a symbol of one of the best symbols of the Old Testament of none other than Jesus himself. Inside that ark is the Ten Commandments. They were unbroken. The first set, remember what happened to them? Charlton Heston coming down from the mountain. He sees the people, right? <laughs> He throws the, the Ten Commandments on the ground because they're worshiping this golden calf. He has to go back up and get Moses. Go back up and get a ten, ten Commandments. He brings them back this time, places them inside this golden ark. They're kept there perfectly. On top of this golden ark is a golden lid called the mercy seat. Once a year, the priest went in with the blood of an animal, an innocent substitute that took the place of the whole nation. Once a year, he takes that blood and places it on top of the mercy. It's the place where the atonement was made. It was a place where the commandments were kept. There's only one other place like that, or I should say person like that, who has ever been on this earth. His name is Jesus. He kept the commandments for you. He paved the atonement for you, did he not? This ark represents him. And what happened to the river, if you will, when the picture of Jesus steps in, 
the waters go away. What are these waters? Well, what would have literally been? I take a bunch of people in the wilderness who have not been taking swimming lessons, and I say, 80 feet away, 30 feet deep water, rushing downhill, is your promised land. Everybody that can make it to the other side is going to get the promises, and what's going to happen to 3 million people? Woo! No, they're going to be washed down to the Dead Sea, aren't they? That water represents their death if they get in it, does it not? That's what this water represents. It's our sin and death. Same, same is true in baptism. I'm entering into waters. What did, what did Paul say in, in Romans 6? That, that baptism, I'm, I'm being placed under a symbol of death. The, the, same, the same thing that Jesus went through literally by, by dying on the cross and being placed in a grave, that's, a, that's the imagery that's being conveyed here. I'm being placed in the grave with him. He's rescuing me back out of it. We don't leave you in the water. People say, well, pastor, we're going to baptize out here in the Gulf of Mexico. And they say, well, how, how long was, I'm kind of scared of the water. How long am I going to be under? I said, uh, just according to the number of your sins is what I tell them. <laughs> There's a time to be sober and somber, and I just don't know when that is, I guess. <laughs> so, so <laughs> we don't. Now we just put you in, pull you back out, because, again, it's the symbol, it's the picture that's being conveyed, and you're publicly identifying with Christ, and that's the most important thing. But, but the bottom line is, guys, and we're going to get to that in just a second, you were never out of the water. You've been under your whole life. In fact, you were born that way. The imagery here is this ark going in there to rescue some things. What was rescued out of this water, by the way? Something they didn't bring in there. Rocks. We're going to get to that. So, so the, the waters of the Jordan represent death and sin, and the Savior steps into those waters ahead of us and parts them so that we cross death and sin as if they wasn't even there, right? What a beautiful picture. Why was Jesus baptized in the New Testament? He's identifying with us, saying, I'm coming to rescue these that have been covered with water all their lives. Sin and death have been had them under, they've held them under. I'm here to pull them out. I'm rescuing them so that even though they cross through this symbol of death, which really death all anymore is just a symbol, we pass straight into the promises of God. It's a beautiful picture from lostness to salvation. Even through the waters, it still makes no difference. And it says in the scriptures that he tasted death for us, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for us. He's that ark in your life, stepped in the waters of sin and death, certain to destroy you. No way you could cross it. But he's the Savior, and he led the way so that though you pass through those waters, listen, they will not harm you. They will not hurt you because of what the Savior did. You needed to be saved and rescued. And so he is part of those waters and taken them away. And, of course, the children of Israel march into those waters behind the Ark of the Covenant, and it, and it backs it up all the way to where? Do you remember? You know, they never found that town, not archaeologically, nor is it ever mentioned ever again in your Bible, in either Old or New Testament. Makes you wonder why. I'm not saying it wasn't a real town, but I think it's more of a figurative place. So, so Jesus, when he died 2,000 years ago, what did he do? He paid for what? Paid for sins, right? Just the sins from that point on? So all, if you picked a bad time, if you were born 100 years before Jesus, too bad. Everybody's going to hell back then. Is that right? No. See, in the providence and, and, and grace of God, Jesus died at a particular point in time. He died for all the sinners that came after him. He died for all the sinners that came before him. All the way back to who? Adam. Hmm, isn't that interesting? For all those who would be justified by faith in God, Jesus is the penalty payer for all of us, both 
future and past, he does all those things. So, so that's the picture of the ark stepping into the water and backing up the waters. But they, as I said, we, they did something else. He had these guys go and pick up stones or rocks underneath where the priests stood. After everybody passed, all the goats, chickens, ducks, goldfish got across. Children, everything got across. He had them go pick up these 12 stones, put them on their shoulders, go to the place where they camped and set them up as a memorial, it says, to all that God had done. What? Why these stones? Why not find, aren't there plenty of stones in Israel? Boy, are there. Why not find 12 to memorialize what, what the, the, in the camp where they were? Just stack up 12 stones. This will be a memorial. Every time they pass by, the kids can ask the questions. You can answer the questions. And this stone is a memorial that reminds us the picture that paints a picture, that paints a picture for them. Why pick them up out from under the feet of the, of the, of the priests? How long have those stones been there? First of all, where were they? The bottom of the river, right? The deepest spot. How long have they been there? A month, a year, a decade, forever, as far as we know. Those stones had already, already been under the water. He didn't leave them there. Why? Why, did, why save stones? Hear me, because they can't save themselves. If they're going to get out, it's going to have to be somebody rescuing them and pulling them out. You're those stones. You and me. See, see, even though we give you the picture, we, we, you're out of the water, we put you under the water, bring you back up. What you really need to know is that you've always been under. Your sins have held you there. The Savior has stepped into the river of sin and death to save you. You weren't really on the other side of the river. You've always been under it. Yeah, of course, there's an image there, and it's wilderness wanderings and all that. But really, the bottom line is, you've been underneath sin, and nobody's going to get you out. You can't save yourself. The Savior has gone in to save you. The Savior has gone in, to die, and, and he's gone in ahead of you. He's gone in and pulled you out. He's gone in and stacked you. He could have stacked you back on the other side and said, you know what, you need to wander around over there a little bit. He didn't do that. He took you straight out of deadness. Out of lostness, out of covered over your head with sin and, and, and death, he took you straight out and put you right in the middle of the promises of God, never to go under again. Isn't that amazing? The same Savior who's done all these things for us, identified himself with us by being baptized himself, asked us, who having trust him, to identify himself public, ourselves publicly with him through immersion. I think it's the least he could ask, don't you? Have you, been a public, have you been publicly identified with the Savior? Well, I know him as Savior. I don't need to do anything else. I didn't write this, guys. I'm sorry. It's not for us to sit around and decide how we're going to represent Jesus. He's decided for us. Have you been scripturally baptized by immersion after the fact of salvation? I know some of our traditions here, and I'm not trying to knock your church or try to get you to leave your church, They've gotten to where you are, gotten you where you are, I think you ought to stay there. But some of our traditions don't practice either immersion or, or uh, uh, baptism after the fact of salvation. If they don't, we would like to help you with that. Uh, I've got a sign-up sheet there in the back, and I'm, I am serious about this. And that sign-up sheet at the top says, I want to be baptized. And it's got the date, which is two weeks from today. We're going to be going out to the beach. You notice we don't have a baptistry up here because we have the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, just so you know, everybody's from the north here. The coldest it gets here, the water gets about 60 degrees. That's a warm temperature from where you're from. It's cold for us. 
one for you. We're going to go out in those waters, and we'll be, we'll be happy to baptize. I have a list back there. I already have six or eight people on that list already from the previous two services. Would you like to be baptized? We'll be happy to do that. We're going to need your name and phone number on there because it, we, it may have to move based upon weather. Like today, I think we got eight-foot seas. You, you could drown in your baptism. <laughs> we'll have to move it. That's okay. And uh, we'll just re, we'll, we'll redo it and get it. But, but don't you want to get it done? Don't you want to follow Christ and discipleship? And what are, the first commandment he gave us after salvation is that you be baptized. Publicly identify yourself with the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God who has worked all the work of salvation for you, gone in ahead of you, pulled you out, set you in the promises of God, and ask a very small thing of you, that you be baptized. I think it's, like I said, the least he could ask of us. Let's, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's think and pray about what he has said to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, who identified himself publicly with us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He stepped into the thing that was killing us, that was drowning us, that was destroying us, and it had no effect on him, but because he took our place, he died there. So that those river, that those waters could be dried up for us. So that we, the stones at the very bottom, underneath all of it, could have caring hands come and pull us out and set us on a high spot that we could never be drowned again. Thank you so much for these great, incredible symbols, so rich, so important that we grasp. Help us to be obedient to you, God, if we've not identified ourselves publicly with you according to the way you've said. Give us the courage to do that. Thank you, God, for speaking to us today. Thank you for the beauty of your scriptures and how it all comes together. God, I pray that you be glorified in whatever we decide. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.